Hi all, David here. I just had the final conversation and content recording with Dan Kennedy for this year, 2022. This was a lively conversation and I took him down a number of different pathways to get his insights, which to me are always valuable. As usual, I prompted him with these specific questions or topics, and I usually let him run quite a bit without interrupting him. I think you probably all appreciate the fact that I don't interrupt and don't talk over him because I like to see his thoughts run the course. At the same time, I do like to bring him back and get at least several key pieces of insights on topics that I know that are relevant for all of us. So we talked about a number of things. Certainly got into a little bit of politics of the day, not that we're concerned about politics from the standpoint of who's left, who's right, who's Democrat, who's Republican. What we got into was really what the midterm elections, the divisiveness in our country means for us going forward in the economy. So we jumped on that a little bit, and then we jumped into the big FTX crypto scandal that's hit in this last week and how that happens and why even people who we hold in high esteem, like Kevin O'Leary from Shark Tank, who was a big promoter and endorser of this Sam Blackman-Fried FTX situation. He was a big backer. How does someone like that get taken? Well, it's the same way people that got involved with Bernie Madoff got taken. Well-to-do people who just the greed glands start to flow and typically people overlook what they don't want to see and only go for the celebritization and the apparent ability for somebody, some platform to create oversized returns that nobody else can produce. It happens all the time, and that's one of the reasons that I'm so conservative, probably to the point where some of you think I'm ridiculously conservative, but I hope you understand that I, too, have played some of those games. Not recently, not crypto, but I have tried some things in the past that I thought were big winners, and I thought I had that FOMO, that fear of missing out, that we all have when we see or think other people are making great headway in their finance and their wealth accumulation and that there must be something wrong with me because I've never hit those home runs before and if I don't jump on it now, when's my chance? And every time I've done that, the few times I've done that, I can look back and say, bad move, wrong thing. There are investing fundamentals and that's what it comes back to. It comes back to fundamentals. That's what we teach and preach over and over again in Freedom Founders. It's investing fundamentals that will win the day, will win the race for you, your game plan, your blueprint, how you're building out your wealth and primarily also that passive cash flow that comes along with the net worth that you're aggregating, building over a period of time. We talked about a lot about uh, the overall general economy, the fact that we both see, and I think the preponderance of, of economists today see that we're definitely going to have a recession of some depth, some level, some duration in 2023, and that there's opportunities that come from that. Dan was relating to books that he's read in past years that talk about the Great Depression. Conrad Hilton, uh, for one, uh, he mentioned Andrew Carnegie, another. Several people that talked about the opportunities that are available for those who are patient, position themselves, and are ready to take advantage of the downfall, the reset of the financial markets, the asset classes, the asset valuations that go on sale every time we have some relatively sizable market correction. And I truly believe we're in that right now. And we have the ability to be patient and ride with some of the best people who have access points into the inefficient marketplace of real estate, which is, gives us, the retail investor, the benefits that we're looking for, the way that we can we can slice and dice and 
get the better returns that Dan was talking about. He, he'll make a point during our discussion, the fact that he took um, a sizable position with an account with Goldman Sachs. Now, that allowed him access to, I assume, platforms, the ability to pick and choose his own buy-hold strategies when he decided to sell without needing a financial advisor. And his point was that he did 200% better than the overall Goldman Sachs returns. And we, we talked about why. Why is that? Are you smarter than they are? No, it's the fact that you can't beat the market when you're playing the market. And that's what we do when we put our money in index funds or ETFs or put them with a financial advisor on Wall Street in our 401ks. They have so much money they have to allocate. They don't have the time to do the nuanced type of investing and discernment that we can do, particularly in what we do in real estate. See, the big money can't play there, can't play where we can. We can, we can go under the radar and with our access points, with, with, with what we know, our ability to do the due diligence inside the companies we want to invest our money, we can't do that on Wall Street. We can get scammed by the Enrons and the WorldComs uh, or even the FTXs, the crypto exchanges, because we can't see behind the scenes. Lots of lessons to be learned there, and Dan and I talked about that. We ended the conversation today on digital trust cards or digital vaccine passports. This is all coming about from the pandemic, and we saw the advent of that in many places of the Restrictions that we had during COVID in certain jurisdictions regarding could we go into that building, could we go to that restaurant, could we even travel to certain designations without a, an approved vaccine passport? Well, because we have the digital age today, that's going to become more and more the norm in years to come. And we, Dan and I talked about, well, whether or not we want to opt into play, whether we need the conveniences that those kind of digital quote, trust cards are supposed to give us. Well, behind that trust, uh, there's a lot of control, a lot of manipulation, and we're all going to have to make decisions on that going forward. So we got into that. I think these will be discussions that we'll have probably every year for the next several years. Your kids are going to have to understand what this means too. And it's They're so tapped in right now to the digital age and smartphones and, and being connected to everything that I think these discussions are going to be important for us to have with our children and grandchildren because they, they don't know what they don't know about the opt-ins to make things easier also comes with a price. And that price, in my opinion, can be heavy. So with that, I'll stop my intro and let you jump right into the conversation with myself and Mr. Dan Kennedy. Dan, good to have you back. There is a lot to talk about uh, today, this this time of the year, and I'm going to give kind of a, a rundown of the content I'd like to talk about. We'll, we'll jump back into it uh, and take things uh, piece by piece, take it down, and certainly we welcome a lot of your comments and insights. We've recently just commenced and completed, well, almost completed, I'd say, the, the final tabulations for the midterm elections. Uh, looks like the Trump card is back in play. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, we have the uh, the FTX uh, financial debacle scandal, whatever you want to call it, uh, where uh, Kevin O'Leary, uh, Matt Damon, Tom Brady, Fortune Favors the Brave was uh, was all the big play this last year. I want to dig into that with you a little bit. Uh, at the G20 meeting that just commenced in Bali, uh, we've had reports coming out there that uh, one thing that they have decided upon uh, through the WEF and who is to have a digital vaccination card. I'd like to get your take on some of that and where we see the loss of our identity and autonomy uh, as we've seen that happening over you know the last years and decades. We want to get a little into the economy. I think our folks want to hear some of your thoughts on how we compare the time zone we're in right now along with what we saw back in the you know 70s and 80s. Uh, comparison, contrast, inflation, recession, stagflation, where we sit with 
navigate our, our own economy, which is the most important thing to us. We can't control all the external, but how do we navigate our own businesses, our investments going forward uh, with the kind of financial folly that we see uh, in, in the economic and fiscal and monetary policies today? Cost of capital going up, rising interest rates, both public and private. What's the consumer health today? What's the resiliency of, of our consumers that drive our investments, drive our businesses? Uh, what about uh, negative wealth effect? And we see people that kind of had this great feeling of great wealth with their, their houses, for example, or 401ks, and uh, a lot of that's turning over right now and, and how that affects the, the economy going forward. Uh, strength of the dollar today, and then kind of coming back to what really matters to us uh, as individual entrepreneurs, how we control our own economy, our own destiny going forward. So let's go back to the top and let's talk about what's happened recently, uh, midterm elections. Very divided country, uh, probably as divided as we've ever seen. What's your What's your take? Well, I think that that's as good a summary as ever. I think that you have to chalk some of it up to structural systemic problems, many created as theoretically temporary conditions in response to the virus that are now trying to become permanent. I mean, if you take Pennsylvania as an example, Oz was a god-awful candidate. Yeah. I said so from the beginning. However, a state that would elect a Fetterman is really quite an amazing thing until you figure out that no less than 20% to as many as 40%, depending on whose numbers you use, of all the votes were cast pretty much before anybody ever saw them. Right let alone saw a debate or any of that. So, you know, this idea of the voting month instead of the voting day is a relatively new dynamic that has its effect. Some of it I think you can chalk up to lousy and timid marketing on the part of some people who didn't do as well as they should have done. Some of it is deeply concerning about the character and nature of the public and blocks of people voting against their self-interest, single-interest voting, and so forth. But I can't say that I was surprised. In the late days or weeks, there was sort of an irrational exuberance about, you know, the so-called red wave. But the betting odds and the senior analysis really always said the Senate stays pretty much worth that and a close number in the House. What is more important, of course, and there is some little reason for optimism about this in the news of the day, is now what will those elected actually do? But I think, because there's a difference between noise, you know, and action, I think that, and, you know, it, we're a long way away from being able to kind of figure out what a, a Trump run for the presidency means, what it may do. But one of the points you raised is, I think, really the most important one, which is, as much as I would like to actually just ignore all of it, as a marketer and as an investor, you can't. You have to be, you know, news cognizant, trend alert, anticipatory, etc. But you have to also be able to compartmentalize all that, give it its due, and then focus mostly on what you can do about your economy, your state of the union, your business, your customers, in your case patients, your finances, the things over which you have direct opportunity to control. Yeah. I made a point over the last month of rereading some of the favorite uh, books I have that are of the 
Great Depression and the aftermath of the Great Depression. Sort of a real estate-specific one is Conrad Hilt autobiography, Be My Guest, which up until recently there was a free paperback copy of in the drawer of every bedstand in every Hilton. W. Clement Stone's book, The Success System That Never Failed, George Haling's book, A Lifetime of Work, because these were, Barnum is another one, these were very much you know, individuals who, if you want to use that phrase, created their own economy and therefore found opportunity when others could not in a, you know, really bad national situation. Of course, you and I both are of sufficient age to have been doing business during the 70s, which is really the last time we had a collection of circumstances that have a lot of comparability to the ones. Right. And, you know, neither you or I or anybody else can control all of these conditions, but it's really important not to let all these conditions control us. I appreciate what you said about being a sufficient age. Uh, that's much better than saying old. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> um, uh, the good news for you is you're younger than I am. <laughs> but, I, look, age does not necessarily bring with it wisdom. Right. We can look at our current president as a fine example. But, but for many people, of course, it does bring a perspective that you, it's hard to have any other way. Yeah. And we do have generations of people who have not even really learned it as history. I had a driver the other day, because as you know, I can't drive. They take a dim view of three-quarters blind people driving cars. And so I had a driver the other day going several places. I would guess her to be late 20s, smart, articulate. But as we passed them changing the prices at a gas station, the price of gas came up. And I said, well, you know, it's bad, but at least it's not Carter. And, you know, she said, what do you mean? And I said, well, at least you're not sitting in line for 45 minutes to get it. Right. At prices you can't afford, or even having it rationed, where you get to go once a week based on your license plate number on Tuesday yeah. in order to sit in line and get it at prices you can't afford. And she, you know, sincerely confessed that she had no earthly idea what the hell I was talking about. Yeah. None. Yeah. I'm not even sure she knew who Jimmy Carter was. Yeah, likely. So you have people now fairly large numbers of them, managing people's money, managing pension funds in top or near top management positions in companies who have little or no relevant experience or historical perspective for what we all now must navigate our way through and deal with. It brings a lot of unnecessary volatility to the market, for example, because you have huge numbers of people who are, you know, reacting in a volatile manner day by day by day to the headline of the day or to the little burst of indigestion of some Fed chairman when really what's going to happen next is really quite foreseeable and predictable and baked in and it does not acquire a emotional or intellectual roller coaster day by day. There, there's no reason for that. What you said earlier about the midterm elections and really what these elected 
officials will actually do. And I, th- I think that's what, where we can't control any of that. We can you know, come up with some, some guesses. And as you were just stating, the volatility that we have seen in the marketplace, and, and even if we don't call it volatility uh, up until COVID, the pandemic, and what we've seen the last couple of years, certainly very volatile. Prior to that, we just really had monetary uh, and fiscal policy that was you know generating really a casino in the marketplace so, you know back to speculation you know in, a, in our industry in, in dentistry but in many industries we've had private equity with this cheap money have been able to speculate like crazy and multiples of businesses that we've never seen before uh, have been rolling out and even to today continue out the, the multiples are, are declining the terms are less in favor of the seller but we've seen that certainly we've seen it in real estate we've seen it in the stock market and so it's been more of a spec speculators game, if I could say so, particularly in the last several years, but maybe even prior to that, when do we ever or do we get back to investing or how does one look at investing in a speculative market? Maybe it's another way to put it, Dan. What what advice would you give there? Well, look, there's no doubt that, you know, the phrase I've been using is that we are seeing reality reassert itself. And so we are getting back to issues of value and real revenue and income and profit and productivity by the means by which they measure it. I just saw a report that productivity for the year 2022 is off 47% if you compare it to 2019. And again, there's multiple factors, but one of those is work from home. Okay, kid B. <laughs> I've worked from home my whole life. I know that very few people have the discipline, you know, to actually work work. So I do think, I mean, the really deep, dark recession year that 2023 is going to be will further be reality reasserting itself. And while there may be some short-term pain for all of us, it's probably, you know, a good thing. I can remember going to Vegas every weekend for a while while I lived in Phoenix during the great Saudi Arabia oil boom. And you would stand at a craps table next to a couple guys in full Saudi Arabian garb, losing, you know, a million dollars a minute and not care because it didn't matter. All the table limits were jacked through the roof at like Caesars because these guys didn't care if they played a thousand a hand or 500 a hand or $5,000 a hand at the blackjack table because they had so much money and so much liquidity that it didn't matter. And we've had you know, somewhat of a similar situation here. It not only did monetary and fiscal policy conspire, but now, try to fix it, monetary and fiscal policy is in combat with each other. So, look, it's a mess, and it's been a building mess, you know, for some time. It, you know, it didn't, like, happen overnight. It, we've seen most of this coming. Revolution's always preceded by evolution. And I don't. I think that the outcome for some time will be a reset stabilization of investment fundamentally. You know, I have a grandson who one of the things he's doing is learning about being invested in one of the books I gave him recently. Now I forget who wrote it, but it's kind of a classic title. is The Value Investor. And I warned him, this is pretty much not applicable to what's going on right now. Yeah. Uh, but in about 24 months, it's going to be. So study up. Right. Let's, let's jump over to the 
FTX situation, uh, right? Uh, so as I, met, as I mentioned, we both know, you know, certainly the celebrities that were paid uh, Super Bowl uh, last year, Matt Damon, uh, Tom Brady, certainly they're, they're paid for, for that endorsement. But uh, yeah, some, even, of them, some, some of them were only paid in stock, which in some respects makes it they deserve, better for them, yeah. right? Because yeah. they didn't actually lose real money. Right. Uh, but in other respects, it makes it worse for them. Even uh, Kevin O'Leary from Shark Tank, who, you know, professes to be, you know, the, the investor who, who has the ability to discern and do due diligence, yeah. uh, missed, missed it here. So take it from whatever standpoint you want to. But again, I think this is the, the, the delusion uh, of the public, and it happens over and over again for centuries, Dan. Uh, take any part of this you want to. But 30-year-old kid who, who started uh, arbitraging uh, Bitcoin, I guess, a year or so ago, I don't know when he started, and it, it, this thing blew up. What's, what's your... What's your take well so he at some point fairly early shifted from that to an outright and complete game in the same way that i think bernie madoff did and in the same way that enron did and by the way the guy that ran the the chasing and recovery of money for the bankruptcy court in enron was just appointed to this thing today so first of all there's a pattern here that you would think people like Kevin would really be cognizant of because it has a long history of simply repeating itself over and over and over and over again with a slightly different Halloween mask and that is charismatic, attractive, exciting star and somewhat mystical story of a money-making method of theirs. Those two things are very attractive to the media, and so the media falls for this again and again and again. And the third part of the formula is scam. So star, story, scam. And almost any time you see somebody who is the highly promoted, kind of came out of nowhere, individual money genius with a secret or semi-secret method of making money that defies everybody else's experience. Like this guy, you know, people accepted the idea that while everybody else was losing their ass in crypto, he was somehow getting rich. Right. With Madoff, they accepted the idea that while nobody else could ever deliver absolutely consistent a positive returns with never a down day, week, month, or quarter, but he could, you know. And so if you try and work this backwards, this guy, Neil, is really Theranos with a different star and different story, pretty much the same scam. And Theranos was really made off, which really was Enron. And I can go back and name them all the way back to the turn of the century. And they're all really the same. You know, there's a scene in um, Boardwalk Empire where Houdini's brother, Hardeen, who was also a magician, a performer, had done a show. And in the VIP suite afterwards, people were gathered around, you know, and they were talking. There was reference made to the escape from the straitjacket trick, which Hardeen had done on stage that night in the show. And somebody said, yeah, but your brother does it, hanging upside down from a crane over the ocean. And Hardeen kind of, you know, pissed off about it, said, it's the same trick. And so these are all the same trick. Now, the interesting thing here, or the thing that I guess made this worse in some respect, is this one's a scam inside a scam, because crypto itself is a scam. The celebrity thing, by the way, think of the SEC for a sec. They managed to find and find Kim Kardashian $250,000. I saw that. 
for promoting some, you know, bullshit crypto right. coin that is an unregistered security and without disclosure about being a compensated endorser. But they didn't spot this. Something is, you know, rotten in Denmark. Uh, exactly. But the celebrity thing, A, almost always occurs with every one of these. They all figure out, they all understand intuitively or from studying the priors that if you go get five or six famous people, it can be Hollywood, it can be sports, in some cases it's famous from the world of finance, in some cases it's famous from the world of business, the great oil swindle. Decades ago, they had some of it, all of them, from Bob Hope to Bill Simon, the former Secretary of the Treasury. If you get a handful of them, everybody else stops asking questions. Right. And so that gets repeated with virtually every one of these. And the idea that Tom Brady's supermodel wife knows more about investing than you do is fatally flawed premise. And this thing is also was helped, to your earlier point, by there being so much money sloshing around. So everything from the professional investor who gets nailed again and again and again in every one of the pension fund managers are all idiots. I've told relatives, you know, they've got their matching funds from their employer, their 401k funds, and it's being managed by the, get your money out. Yeah. Exactly. Put it in a coffee can in your backyard <laughs> if you can't think of anything better to do with it. But the last thing you want is a pension fund manager because they fall for this every time, yeah. every time. They're in every one of these, losing people's money. But in this case, the retail invest in many cases, the young, because it was crypto, first-time retail investor had a lot of money and a lot of available credit. There was a story in the news, I think, this morning, sort of as a typical example. 27-year-old guy between savings, mortgaging his house, and running up all his credit cards. He had $2 million in it. And, you know, if he ever sees $20, it'll be a miracle. And I guarantee you, he didn't do two minutes of due diligence. It's hard for me to have sympathy for people. should be very instructive. If for some reason, for most people, it never is. But it should be really instructive because you should be able to spot the next. And believe me, there's a next one being cooked up while this one is still, you know, coming apart. This is very big. Well, let's, you know, you mentioned, uh, and I think the gentleman you're talking about that is taken over, who's gone through a lot of these workouts, uh, if I've got it right, uh, CEO, new CEO for FTX, John Ray. Yeah. Yeah, he, yeah. So his quote was, never in my career, as you said, he's had a, a, a career of dealing with this stuff. Never in my career have I seen such a complete failure of corporate controls and such a complete absence of trustworthy financial information as occurred here, seemingly bigger than Enron. Again, we, we don't know right now, but you mentioned uh, so many people and pension plans, retirement funds, institutional money, kids who have hawked everything they've got. What do you see the contagion effect, the, the collateral damage? Do you do you see this as, as, as rolling out over the next weeks, months, and quarters and potentially, again? My guess is it'll be confined to crypto. Mm -hmm. I think yesterday, one more big crypto exchange froze withdrawals. I think this morning, three more froze withdrawals, you know, so I think this is sort of, you know, Lehman Brothers, you know, this is Wall Street Bank kind of situation where everybody is actually counterparty, mm -hmm. and we haven't seen the last of that yet. I don't think there's a lot of big bank exposure, and I don't think intelligence prevented that. I think the age of people running the money, you know, mm -hmm. because it was crypto.
I think places like J.P. Morgan were slow to gravitate to it and were still in small position compared to total assets. Whereas if you go look at Theranos, if you go back and look at Theranos, you had some big financial institutions and you had some big pension funds and some big college endowment funds who were in very, very, very big. My guess is that's not the case here for the most part because you've got people old enough running those things that they're just, they're crypto skeptics, start But if you go look at Theranos, for example, they took a pretty good beating. If you go look at Madoff, they took a right. My guess is this is going to be sector confined, but in this conversation, it's too soon to know. But if you ask me to make a bet, I would bet on it being sector confined. Yeah, I I think that's that's probably right. Again, from from my knowledge base, I, but I still wonder about the what I kind of term the the negative wealth effect when not necessarily institutional money, the big banks, as you said, not being largely at play here, but again, just so many other places where the loss here affects the emotional financial oh, well, movement. You're for, look, you're absolutely right. There is, you know, there is what is, and then there is what you feel about what is, and feelings of gee. I can't trust anything, and feelings of anticipatory dread are going to, you know, affect people's uh, spending and investing behavior as much or more than what really is. So, like, Walmart had an exceptionally good quarter. Target did not. And Walmart's numbers, their own research and data and so forth, indicates not only did they get trade down from the middle to the bottom, but they have affluent customers in Walmart stores for the first time in their lives or the first time in a decade. And that's an example of the anticipatory dread. It's not about the reality of that person's finding. It's about such a level of angst about what may come right. that it affects you know, their present-day behavior. And so scandals of a financial nature affect investors who were unaffected by the scandal itself. There's no doubt about it. You know, there's the, it's the, some version of Zig's old story about the cat that comes in the kitchen and jumps up on the stove, puts its paw on the burner that was left on and burns its little paw. And not only will it never put a paw on the burner again, which is the actual lesson, but it won't even come in the kitchen. Right. That's a very unhealthy situation, right? All the way back to your election thing, you know, we, you have a, a whole lot of people who are now very doubtful of, a fair game occurring, and whether it is or not, they keep seeing more and more demonstrations that they might be right. And therefore, that affects all the capital markets because investors will pull back. I mean, we're seeing that with people sure. that raise capital for real estate, and they're saying, yeah, it's down right now. It's down. So that, that was even before FTX. That was just with the volatility of the stock market. People are just, you know, they tend to, to freeze up. They they withdraw back in, and, and uh, like they're taking shelter from uh, the storm, and they're going to wait till the storm passes over if they know what that looks like and how long the duration is. Yeah, and, you know, there's a number of reasons not to do that. I think Bill Ackman, who I'm generally not a fan of, but, you know, he's smarter than the average bear. I prefer Icon. But Ackman, you know, said what is gradually becoming a prevailing sentiment, said yesterday, that this fantasy of getting inflation back down to 2%, everybody's smoking crack. Right, right. Uh, essentially, a lot of this inflation is, is semi-permanent. So, you know, the idea that you can just go, you know, wait for a little, go take a nap, and this storm will be cleared up when you awake, you better be Rip Van Winkle. And, and, and so failing that, you've got to still find ways to 
move your ball down the field as the game is occurring at the moment. I realize not everybody's a fan. No, I think you're right. That's what we talk about, you know, in our community is that is if you're going to be an advocate for your own financial future, then you need to develop some skill sets, just develop some discernment and, you know, understand that uh, as, as the economy morphs, uh, the risks change. And, you know, if, if you have enough access points to what you like to invest in, that you should be able to reallocate your, your funds uh, as appropriate. Uh, there's no timing of the market, but you can certainly look at the big waves and, and not just pull back and do nothing. Yeah, and you've got to, you know, you've got to narrow your focus mm-hmm. to whatever extent you need to. Right. So you can be educated and informed and relatively self-reliant because, look, the idea that is sold to everybody is this is all too complicated for you and let pros do it for you. Right. And so Kevin's a fine example. Really, how comfortable are you now with having a bunch of money in the mutual fund or private equity fund that have Kevin O'Leary's name on them and that ostensibly he makes investment choices. Correct. Yep. Knowing that he picked this piece of crap. Yep. Right? So, you know, it just says that just because they, you know, got an office on the 85th floor does not mean that they are really smarter than you can be about matters of your money. Now, look, I can tell you, for example, because I have mine spread around a little bit, so I have did it about a year ago. I let Goldman have a quarter of a million dollars for one of their portfolios, and I got an extra good deal going in because I, so so here we are. I don't know. Let's say a year later, give or take. The portfolio that I entirely run myself, that I make all the decisions for, and buy, sell, hold, etc., has outperformed the Goldman portfolio not by a little, by 200 percent. Now I don't claim to be more of an expert at it than the guys at Gold. But I do know that there are certain types of businesses that I probably am a hell of a lot smarter about than the guys managing the portfolios at Goldman. And that probably accounts for a lot. I, yeah, I think I think that and the fact that, that you're looking out for your portfolio and relative to what Goldman manages, you know, it's a fraction. And they have to scale. They have to scale everything they do. And so they can't go into niche investments like you can because you have the ability to do that with the amount of capital you're going to invest in. They've got to go wider with a larger tranche of money. So, so yes, with, with your diligence and what you do, you should be able to beat them most of the time. And so if you think about real estate, where you've done very well, and with the portion of my portfolio that's in real estate, I've done very well and, and continue to do well. The, they can't do that either. And, in fact, they, Wall Street has sort of proved it right. already because there was so much money sloshing around that four or five companies, BlackRock, Redfin, they all started buying up residential real estate by the 55-gallon drum like you buy peanut butter at Costco. Right. And, and they got their head handed to it. Whereas, you know, the old story of the wealthy barber, the guy who really makes a study of a neighborhood and really understands everybody who lives there and really understands that housing market and is patient and alert and leaps when really good buying opportunity presents itself, wealthy barber will outperform BlackRock in residential landlord real estate pretty consistently. Yes. Because uh, they can't do that. That's right. It's just like, you know, Walmart can do certain things that the small independent retailer cannot do. But the small independent retailer can do things Walmart can't or won't do. Exactly. In the infomercial business, where I spent a lot of time, you know, Guffy Ranker could do things because of muscle. 
economic power, the way they could buy time, that the small independent guy with one show fueling his business could not do. But the small independent guy, client of mine, we were on the air for nine years, made himself a multi-millionaire, can, could, and would do things that Guthy Ranker just simply would not do. Too micro for them. Right. You know, and look, if you could throw mud against the wall and make a satisfactory net profit, there is an argument to be made for why do I want to get granular and search, but that leaves a different kind of opportunity. The reading of the entrepreneurs and investors in the Great Depression, that I mentioned earlier, see that, that lesson is, you know, glare, is guys figured out how to find an advantage in what everybody else saw as a disadvantage and to run their plan very successfully in very unsuccessful and uncertain times. Very true. Dan, I'm going to take you one different direction here towards the end of our call today. And I had Lindsay send you that article about digital IDs, uh, what they're calling trust scores. And in conjunction with that, at the G20 meeting, I guess right before the G20 meeting, there was uh, a a panel. And on that panel, there was the Minister of Health from Indonesia. And he said, let's have a digital health certificate acknowledged by who? The World Health Organization. If you have been vaccinated or tested properly, then you can move around, he said, during this panel that was on uh, November 14th, just three days ago. He went on to say that the benefit of a global WHO standardized vaccine passport would be to facilitate international travel. So I'd love to get your take on um, on what's happening with all this that came out of the pandemic and now, you know, vaccine passports, cards, and now digital trust scores, if you will. Where does that take us in and how do we presumably stay off the grid? Well, first of all, you know, do you want to live in China or worse? <laughs> you want to live in Orwell's 1984? I don't think you do. The resistance has to be very personal and very thoughtful and in some cases very uncomfortable. So like I benchmark the beginning of the loss of personal rights of your own space with the advent of compulsory wearing of seatbelts in cars. And I very much remember a conversation with my father who said that if we let them do this, it won't be long before they will be telling us what we can have in our refrigerator. And, you know, all this stuff happened sort of on a slow creep, and then all of a sudden it accelerated. So we do things that seem innocuous to us or that are a convenience to us. So if a little doodad people are allowing in their cars to lower their insurance rates by monitoring their braking, driving speed, and all of that, it's still optional. It'll be compulsory. You won't be able to get insurance. Once enough people agree to it optional, then everybody else will be given a ultimatum choice. Right. And that's what happens with all this stuff. And so... You have to be very careful of going along with the innocuous and the convenient because of where it leads. And China's social scoring system, which is you know described in the report you sent me, and now it's broadening idea of a trust score to a lot of people. This sounds like a really good idea, and it'll be a tremendous convenience. Sure. Assuming it's a tremendous convenience, assuming that you and everybody in your Fear, always get high trust scores, but it's going to be a hell of an inconvenience if you don't. And the power to decide all of that about you is pretty damn subjective. I don't like the targeting rule in the NFL because it's too damn subjective, right? Did he, did he 
duck his head to hit the guy, or did he duck his head just to duck his head? Did he do it from three steps away or two steps away, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? It gives the ref way too much power over the game. And this thing is giving refs way too much power over people's lives. And we can all understand why Bank of America would love it. Sure. And why MasterCard would love it. And why the Zuckerbergs of the world would love it. But, you know, it is as anti-liberty and anti-individual as you can get. Your question, how do you stay off the grid? Well, you know, you can't, but you can minimize your exposure to the grid. You can at least not be casually accepting of each new intrusion and each new thing everybody says, you have to do this now. You have to be here now. As you, you know, I, the last two days I've been talking to, I've had my private client calls for the month. I've ten. Two of them are awash in Facebook problems. They had their account hacked, got Facebook to throw them off, they took two weeks to get back on, and then two weeks more to get the algorithms working again, and other ones that have fight with it. And in both of their cases, they actually have data that shows of all of the marketing they're doing, it's the poorest performing. I'm going, how about you just stay off? Yeah. You know? Right. I mean, you don't have to do this. Yeah. Well, that's so that's because but, I rose in Dennis way back. You know, you, I used to ask him at seminars, how many of you got a display ad in the yellow pages? Most of the hands go, rather than a listing. Okay, great. Now, what's your reason for it? And the number one overriding reason was because everybody else is there. Right. I'm going, well, that's the crappiest reason I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. You should either be there because you have figured out how it is productive and beneficial for you, or you should be directing your resources somewhere else. The worst yeah. reason of all to be there is because everybody else is there. Right. So that's part of the trap is that we we follow group think. We think there's safety in numbers. That's one. The other side that I see, and you kind of brought it up, is that we're all about convenience, and we don't. None of us want to go out of our way to have to do anything. Quote the old hard way. If there's a faster way, a way to do it on my smartphone, for maybe just to to have whatever you know, Apple Pay or the app of the day, do something, or or I'd rather use my phone to use Google Maps because I'm too lazy to to do a map. Another example. Dan, my wife and I, we decide personal reasons. We're healthy and I don't see patients anymore. So we decide when the COVID vaccinations come out, came out, we said, we'll take our chances. No, thanks. Uh, as a result, we decide also we wouldn't test the inconvenience of trying to travel internationally while all this was going on and get trapped somewhere in quarantine. We decided, you know what? We're not going to do it. So you could say, well, that's an inconvenience. We couldn't go where we wanted to. So I think that's part of the trade, isn't it? Part of the trade is going to be deciding at what level you want to play, right? And and there's going to be choices to be made here. That's the way yeah, I see the, it. So the, the lures that they have figured out that move people and get them to set aside discernment and skepticism, kind of about everything and about this, are everybody else is doing this. What's wrong with you? Or let's make it horribly inconvenient for you not to do it. When our supermarket here first began to try to eliminate cashiers, send everybody through the self-check, right. they shrunk the number a lot. And, of course, they put the most mentally deficient, incompetent, <laughs> you know, yeah. clerk they could possibly find, you know. Right. And I called the manager over and I said, look, I know exactly what you're up to. Okay? <laughs> I understand that you have put this mentally deficient, 
incompetent, eggs on the bottom of the bag, <laughs> nitwit here for a reason. But I brought a book to read while I wait, and I'm a stubborn son of a gun. <laughs> and it ain't going to work on me, you know? And I'm with you. I think that you have to think twice about these means of altering your behavior because they so fear and panic. Everybody else is doing X. What's wrong with you? And convenience versus inconvenience. These are the three ways people get moved into kind of indiscriminate, thoughtless, you know, behavior, not giving any thought to what does this mean? How does it integrate with other things? And where does this lead next? It disturbs me to see, you know, educated, intelligent people being herded around like this. You know, I am of the idea to be the wizard, but beware the wizard. Right? right. You, I, we are supposed to be doing the herding, but we are not supposed to be herded. And we got to be very cognizant of when somebody is trying to herd us. So I just I just got to know, Dan, how did it work out with the manager at the grocery store? Did he call over a halfway confident clerk and let you go through the checkout line and have that person check you out? She, the manager herself, checked me out. She did. Okay. All right. All right. And there was enough resistance that he's still, the last time I was there, now that I don't drive, Carl's doing most of it. The last time I did it myself, we are still at 50-50. Half the lines have converted to something. Uh, okay. Half the lines still have human cashiers in well, probably in no short uh, amount because uh, you threw up some resistance. Hopefully a few other people did as well, and uh, that's that's what it takes to keep a few lines open for the people who want to remain independent and autonomous uh, in some form or fashion. Well, I know there were at least two of us because <laughs> the guy standing in line behind me who heard the whole exchange <laughs> applauded. Uh, <laughs> I was laughing because, Dan, I, I can 100% see you doing that. I mean, that's that's who you are, and that's, uh, that's what we appreciate about you. You don't suffer fools uh, easily at all. Well, listen, I appreciate your, your insights. I know our tribe does. Uh, this has been great. And um, from all of us, I uh, want to thank, thank you and wish you a very happy Thanksgiving. The same to all of your folks, and thank you, David. All right. Take care.